Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. The Breakfast Brief on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. It's a breakfast huddle with me, Adrian Abraham. It is a Friday, and that means the weekend is finally here. How's your Friday morning going? Well, mine's been very interesting to say the least. Let's, uh, you know, talk about the breakfast brief. Time now to discuss the top market. Moving headlines that investors will be paying attention to and its potential implications. Joining us on the line is Azim Sheriff, market analyst at CMC Markets and APAC and Canada. Welcome to the show, Azim. How are you? Good morning, Adrian. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, morning, to say the least. But, you know, we've made it to Friday. I guess that's a positive to start with. You know, tell us about the um, U.S. Um, existing home sales, how they fall into fresh two-year lows in July, down 5.9%. What does that tell you about the economy? Yeah, absolutely. So we had a bit of data coming out last night, uh, Adrian. So as you mentioned, uh, U.S. existing home sales. Uh, it, it dropped to about 5.9% or negative 5.9%. And that's increased from a negative 55 from the previous release. So what that basically suggests is that existing home sales are dropping. And then what that means is, uh, I'll just give a bit of a background. So the existing home sales is a leading indicator of economic health because the sale of home triggers a, a widening ripple effect. So basically, you know, renovations uh, stop getting done, uh, you know, mortgages stop getting sold by the banks. And brokers or your real estate agents, you know, aren't getting paid the transaction fee. So this is a basically a flow-on effect from the aggressive rate hikes uh, that we've been seeing in the U.S. And why that's important is because this has resulted in a decrease in serviceability. So, you know, customers basically, you know, go to the bank, request it for credit, um, and their serviceability has been hit, therefore reducing the amount of credit that they demand for. In short terms, if people can't buy, people can't sell. So that's why we're seeing that existing home sales, you know, I guess, decrease uh, in the amount of home sales. Now, while demand is still falling off due to weaker affordability, prices still remain stubbornly high. Um, we're seeing almost the same, I guess, narrative in Sydney as well, where the you know, house prices are skyrocketing or still at record highs. But And consumers, unfortunately, they're still able to afford these houses. So basically, inflation is still high. People still have cash. Although, uh, and I guess the rate rises aren't really taking into effect as yet because there is a bit of a delay in that regard. So hopefully as the rate rises start to kick in, uh, consumer demand for credit starts to drop because banks are less likely to hand over uh, credit or loans to customers and therefore the existing home sales will start to decrease again and, and it will become such a tight housing market where no one's buying, no one's selling. And that will obviously reduce the house prices uh, over time to encourage that spending. You know, but in, in saying that, uh, Adrian, you know, people looking to purchase homes at this stage might need to consider other affordable options in this environment. Uh, you know, by possibly buying a very large outdoor tent, um, given it's a cheap alternative. So, you know, consumers have to consider that <laughs> instead of purchasing a house these days. <laughs> what about the uh, U.S. jobs market where we are seeing initial jobless claims edge lower? Um, it's down 2,000 to 250,000 for last week. Tell us a little bit more about this and why it's happening. Yeah, so the initial jobless claims or the unemployment claims, uh, as you mentioned, Adrian, so it dropped, I think, I believe it was 2,000 to 250 
thousand for last week. So basically, uh, the U.S. job market is very tight at the moment and strong, uh, given the very low unemployment rate, uh, around 3.5 percent. You know, new jobs were added from non-farm payrolls, and there's been a slight reduction in the unemployment rate. As you said, it's a 2,000 uh, reduction. It's not material enough. But what that number suggests is that, the, again, the, the job market is still very tight. You know, people are still employed. Um, unemployment rate is still very low. People have money to spend. You know, so the number of individuals that file for the unemployment benefits is basically that 250K. So, again, that just goes to show that no one's really asking for unemployment benefits from the government, which is positive. Uh, because obviously they have uh, employment, so they've got incomes coming through. It is considered a lagging indicator, though, but it does give us uh, an, some sort of insight into the overall health of the uh, economy, because consumer spending is highly correlated with the labour market conditions. In saying that, though, again, you know, the result does show the economy is still very strong. People still have jobs, therefore they have income to spend, which means they can still stimulate the economy, pay their debt, obviously, which means inflation is still going to remain high. In saying that, though, it is difficult to say whether we're heading into a recession based on this, you know, based on the tight labor market uh, in the backdrop. However, this unemployment rate or these unemployment benefits start to increase, then that is usually when you could start to say the negative connotations of uh, surrounding a recession start to kick in because inflation starts to drop, but unemployment starts to go up to balance that out. So again, that'll just be the impact of the rising uh, interest rate kicking in. And because it's delayed, we may not see that happen for the next few months. So it might come up early next year. But again, long story short, labor market's very strong at the moment. And that's why we're seeing a very light figure with the unemployment claims. Yeah, we're in conversation with um, Azim, Sheriff Market Analyst, CMC Markets, APAC and Canada. Azim, how much will the latest data points move expectations for the Fed policy? Yeah, look, so Adrian, look, in, in my personal view, I don't believe there's enough data to suggest a 50 basis point hike. Although the Fed funds future chart is pricing in, I believe, a 60% chance of a 50 basis point hike. But again, I think the general rhetoric is what we still need to remember is the Fed are way behind the curve. Yes, inflation is slowly starting to drop, but we've only seen one uh, indication of that. You know, it's not been a recurring pattern. So inflation is still high. That's the point of it. The Fed still need to be aggressive with their rate hikes. So I truly believe 75 basis points will be on the cards. Again, employment is still very strong, as we mentioned before. Unemployment rate at record lows, you know, 3.5%. So there's still a lot of uh, money being stimulated in the economy, which is still going to maintain uh, inflation. So the Fed have a bit of wiggle room in terms of how aggressive they need to be. And obviously, the more aggressive they are, that will affect that employment number as well. People are still talking about the Fed pivot. I really don't understand that, why they're talking about rate cuts when we literally just started getting to rate hikes. We haven't, again, seen a consistent uh, drop in inflation, so we can't actually say that the rate hikes are working as of yet. When they start to, then, yeah, sure, let's talk about a Fed pivot. But again, you know, like I mentioned before, the, the Fed fund future is pricing in a, a 40% chance of a 75 basis point hike, which I think is quite low. I think it should be definitely more than 50%, given that we are still behind the curve. And a couple of Fed members came out this morning having a chat. You know, one of uh, the Fed's members, Kashkari, he made a comment saying, I don't know if we can avoid a recession. And that's quite interesting coming from a Fed member as well. So, again, you know, that's 
what we can expect, again, I still believe uh, the Fed will move at 75 basis points in the next meeting, but the data points don't suggest anything less than that, in my personal opinion. Yeah, let's turn our attention to China. Goldman Sachs and Nomura have downgraded their forecast for China's growth, citing weaker demand. Um, the uncertainty stemming from zero COVID uh, policy and an energy crunch. We, of course, saw those videos that came out of IKEA in China, and it does not make for, you know, great viewing. My thoughts go out for the people out in China. What does this mean uh, for Chinese stocks? Because from initial um, sort of reading, not too good. Yeah, not so good, uh, Adrian. And, you know, as you mentioned, it was so sad to see that video. You know, I saw it myself and, you know... It's, it's almost heartbreaking, uh, right? It, it is heartbreaking mm. and it looks like something out of a, a horror movie. You know, something <laughs> has happened and people are running scared for their, you know, naturally scared for their life. And yeah. they're obviously are scared of, you know, what's to happen potentially. Um, But yeah, look, it's not looking too good in China. There's obviously a lot of issues at the moment, you know, with the zero COVID policy. You know, for good reason, Goldman Sachs and Nomura have downgraded their forecasts, you know, for China's growth. I believe Goldman uh, downgraded somewhere around the 3% mark um, from 3.3, and Nomura cut their three-year growth from 33 to 2.8%. So, again, that's quite a big drop in uh, Chinese economic growth. Obviously, that's not positive for the overall economy and, you know, even for the equity markets in, uh, in China. So, but what that basically means is that, you know, obviously the Chinese infrastructure, Chinese property market is not doing too well. You know, Australian exports, especially around steel, I know have dropped because a lot of the Chinese property companies aren't purchasing that. So there's been weaker demand for steel, iron ore, and, you know, all those commodities, which obviously feeds into the weaker demand for construction, for property, for housing, and that will have that flow-on effect, uh, you know, to the Chinese property market as well. Recent home buyers have started refusing to pay mortgages because I guess that's, you know, again, it's a money issue, uh, discretionary spending. They need to reevaluate their uh, financial situation, but that's worsened the real estate developer's situation There are multiple reports of government plans to keep developers funded, but the central government haven't really done anything yet, or they haven't really uh, officially announced anything to support the real estate market. So again, the real estate market is not looking too good in China. Again, the the trade, but also the demand is taking a bit of a hit. So it makes sense why Goldman and, and Nomura have you know, downgrade the forecast. But, and again, the zero COVID policy, you know, it's, this has been going on for a, a very long time now. The zero COVID policy has been affecting trade, you know, trade even between Australia and China being one of Australia's largest importers of iron ore as well. And, you know, because China keeps going back into lockdown, coming out of lockdown, that's also been affecting the global supply chain. And that's been ongoing, you know, for almost a year now. And obviously that affects other markets, US, Europe, etc. Uh, because China is a huge hub for goods and services in, in that regard. So, you know, overall, it's not looking too good. But again, you know, the uncertainty coming from the zero COVID policy is really having a huge dent on those uh, Chinese growth forecasts. And and you also mentioned about the uh, energy crunch. So it's interesting because obviously China at the moment, or at least uh, Sichuan, is having a bit of a heat wave at the moment. And Sichuan is considered... Uh, China's lithium hub. So a lot of their factories don't have enough energy or electricity to, you know, conduct work. Um, and what they're actually doing is they're starting to ration out electricity to factories to ensure, obviously, they can continue operations. But they still have to maintain the electricity supply to residential areas. 
but this heat wave, it's pretty bad because, you know, we're talking about temperatures from, you know, 40 to 45 degrees approximately, and that's drying up the, the dams, and these dams is what provides 80% of the electricity uh, to the region. So again, it's not looking too good, but also the economic backdrop as well with the commodity prices increasing, you know, oil demand starting to increase as well, which would drive the, the oil price, you know, but China's uh, relations with Russia, uh, you know, with natural gas, potentially uh, coal um, and electricity as well, and, uh, and oil, of course, that may assist in some regard, but we're still yet to see that flowing through to the Chinese market. Yeah, and an, an in-depth analysis there of the situation in China from Azim Sheriff Market Analyst at TMC Markets, APAC, and Canada. Before I let you go, um, let's look at some of the key things on the calendar uh, for next week that investors will be you know, looking out for. Azim, what do you sort of expect? Yeah, look, let's talk about the huge event that happens once a year, the Jackson Hole Symposium. That is occurring, I believe, next weekend. So it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday situation. Um, this is basically, you know, for our viewers, it's just basically a huge open discussion of economic issues, stocks, currencies that the global economy may face. So this is where all the global leaders meet up uh, and they have a chat about what's happening, especially central bankers uh, from each of the central banks. They make comments about, you know, what their policies may look like in the future. This is obviously a very watched uh, event uh, by a lot of traders, a lot of investors, because again, central bankers may give clues as to what their expectations are with the upcoming rate hikes or what their forecasts may be over the next six months to one year. Um, So traders and investors will be closely watching this and obviously looking for those clues uh, because that will contribute to market volatility. And because this is more of a weekend event, we can expect, you know, Monday open, when market does open, uh, to expect a lot of volatility, especially in the equity markets or in the bond markets, especially when they start talking about uh, interest rates. And, and obviously Powell is expecting the head of Fed Fund um, FOMC committee as well. He's expected to make comments on the FOMC and, and what the Fed might do with their rate hike. So that will be the most important one. It's quite light data-wise globally, but there's a few key ones in, in the US. So we've got new home sales. Again, that'll back on uh, in addition to the existing home sales. That'll be very important to see whether people are still purchasing new homes. Um, and again, that credit demand issue, whether that's still flowing on from the rate hikes, durable goods or total orders, the manufacturing side, you know, whether businesses are still ordering from overseas. And because, again, China's having a bit of limitation, there might be a, a drop in durable goods from the U.S. There is a key, another key event that's happening, which is the core PCE price index. So this is basically like the CPI uh, equivalent. Um, the core PCE price index is actually the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. So this is what the Fed watches closely as opposed to uh, the CPI number, which a lot of other countries and economies look at. That will occur on Friday, I believe, later at night, Singapore time, 26th. So that'll be very important to see what the figure comes out is because that's what the Fed may base their decision on coming to the next rate hike. And of course, on the Thursday, there's the GDP uh, preliminary number. This is not as important because we've already received the GDP advance uh, figure last month, which was at negative 0.9. That obviously uh, contributed to that technical recession connotation for the U.S. 
um, because it's too, it's been two negative quarters of negative, uh, sorry, two quarters of negative GDP. So this uh, figure isn't expected to move the market as much. Um, the core PCE uh, price index may move the market again because that's a key indicator of inflation. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, let alone. But Friday and the whole weekend will be very important for the U.S. market and, and the global market as a whole. That's what I'm seeing at the moment for next week and what investors and traders should look out for. Well, thank you so much for that, Azim, Sheriff Market Analyst at CMC Markets at APAC and Canada, uh, for helping me out this morning and for that in-depth analysis. Have a great weekend and uh, look forward to having you on the show again. My pleasure, Azim. Thank you and thank you to all viewers as well. Have a great weekend. Cheers. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.